My govanen melunin, and thanks for tuning in to Speak, Friend, and Enter Deep Lore. This is where I take the dense and mythical stories of the Silmarillion and do my best to make them more accessible so nerds and non-nerds alike can fully enjoy them. I'm Leah, and I read the books so you don't have to. Today, we'll be talking about the eighth chapter of the Silmarillion, of the Darkening of Valinor. In the chapters leading up to this one, there has been a lot of foreshadowing of something catastrophic happening to the two trees of Valinor, and now we're going to find out what. So, in the last chapter, we talked about Melkor sowing discontent in Amon, and once he'd gotten everyone well and truly pissed at one another, and failed again at attempting to get the Silmarils from Feanor, scarpered off somewhere outside of Amon to regroup. Manwe, the king of the Valar, figures that Melkor has retreated back to his old strongholds in the north of Middle-earth, so Tolkas the Strong and Orome the Hunter head there to search for him, and the watch is doubled on the northern borders of Amman. But Melkor has them all fooled, and before anyone had even begun tracking him, he doubles back to the south. For he was yet as one of the Valar, and could change his form or walk unclad as could his brethren, though that power he was soon to lose forever. Then Melkor comes to the dark region of Avathar, and its long and mournful shores stretched away into the south, lightless and unexplored. There, beneath the sheer walls of the mountains and the cold dark sea, the shadows were deepest and thickest in the world, and there, in Avathar, secret and unknown, Ungoliant had made her abode. None of the elves know where Ungoliant comes from, and there are rumors that, ages ago, she had descended upon the world from the void and darkness outside of Arda, and that she had been one of the Maiar who Melkor had corrupted to his service. But she had disowned her master, desiring to be mistress of her own lust, taking all things to herself to feed her emptiness. She makes her home in the south, which is unheeded by the Valar, and she creeps towards the light of Valinor because she both hungers for and hates light. In a ravine she lived and took shape as a spider of monstrous form, weaving her black webs in a cleft of the mountains. There she sucked up all light that she could find and spun it forth again in dark nets of strangling gloom until no light more could come to her abode and she was famished. Now Melkor changes his appearance to that of the tall, dark, and terrible tyrant of the stronghold of Utumno, and in that form he will stay for the rest of history. He goes to Avathar and seeks out Ungoliant, and together they plot a revenge against the Valar. When Ungoliant begins to understand what Melkor wants to do, she is caught between hunger and fear. She doesn't want to risk the wrath of the Valar. Therefore Melkor said to her, do as I bid, and if thou hunger still when all is done, then I will give thee whatsoever thy lust may demand, yea, with both hands. Lightly he made this vow, as he ever did, and he laughed in his heart. Thus did the great thief set his lure for the lesser. Ungoliant spins a cloak of darkness around them when they set forth, and Tolkien makes a distinction between average everyday darkness and the advanced darkness that Ungoliant weaves. It is an unlight in which things seem to be no more and which eyes cannot pierce, for it is void. Together they climb the tallest of the southern mountains and look down upon the blessed realm. Below them lay the woods of Arome, and westward shimmered the fields and pastures of Yavanna, gold beneath the tall wheat of the gods. But Melkor looked north, and saw afar the shining plain, and the silver domes of Valmar gleaming in the mingling of the lights of Telperion and Laurelin. 
Then Melkor laughed aloud and leapt swiftly down the long western slopes, and Ungoliant was at his side, and her darkness covered them. Now in Valinor it is a time of feast, which Manwe the king of the Valar calls to celebrate the season's first harvest of fruits and give praise to Eru Iluvatar. Manwe wishes to heal the unrest among the Noldoran elves, so they are all summoned to this glorious feast, and the people of Valinor eat and make joyful music and song and work to forget the lies of Melkor. The Vanyaran elves and the Maiar come from the city of Valmar of Many Bells, and the Noldor come from Tyrion upon Tuna. The streets and stairs in those cities are empty, and the land sleeps in peace. One thing only upsets Manwe's plans. Feanor does come to this feast, but he is the only one of the Noldor of Formenos who does. Both his father and his seven sons are sulking at home to protest Feanor's exile. And Feanor came not in raiment of festival, and he wore no ornament, and he denied the sight of the Silmarils to the Valar and the Eldar, and left them locked in Formenos in their chamber of iron. So Feanor shows up to a gala in his Cheeto-dust-stained sweatpants, and everyone feels that the party is lesser because the Silmarils aren't there to be admired. But Feanor does meet with his half-brother Fingolfin before Manwe's throne, and they are reconciled from Feanor's harsh words and deeds at their father's house. Fingolfin held forth his hand, saying, As I promised, I do now. I release thee, and remember no grievance. Then Feanor took his hand in silence, but Fingolfin said, Half-brother in blood, full brother in heart I will be. Thou shalt lead, and I will follow. May no new grief divide us. I hear thee, said Feanor, so be it. But they did not know the meaning that their words would bear. As the brothers stand before the throne, reaffirming their bond, the lights of the two trees of Valinor begin to shine together, and the city is filled with the radiance of silver and gold. And even in that hour, Melkor and Ungoliant fly over the fields of Valinor like a shadow, and they come upon the green mound Azelahar on which the two trees stand. Then the unlight of Ungoliant rose up even to the roots of the trees, and Melkor sprang upon the mound, and with his black spear he smote each tree to its core, wounded them deep, and their sap poured forth as it were their blood, and was spilled upon the ground. But Ungoliant sucked it up, and going then from tree to tree, she set her black beak against the wounds till they were drained, and the poison of death that was in her went into their tissues then and withered them, root, branch, and leaf, and they died. And still she thirsted, and going to the wells of Varda, she drank them dry. But Ungoliant belched forth black vapors as she drank, and swelled to a shape so vast and hideous that Melkor was afraid. So the light of the two trees is no more, and all Valinor is in unchanging darkness. The light fails, but the darkness that follows is more than a loss of light. In that hour was made a darkness that seemed not lack, but a thing with being of its own, for it was indeed made by malice out of light, and it had power to pierce the eye and to enter heart and mind and strangle the very will. Varda, the queen of the stars, looks down from the mountain of Tanaquetil and sees the shadow soaring and growing, and soon that holy mountain stands alone, a last island in a world that is drowned. There is silence in Valinor, save for only a sound that floats on the wind from the east, the wails of the Teleran elves, like the cold cries of gulls. Manwe looks out from his high seat on Tanaquetil, and only his eyes can pierce the sudden darkness, but not even he can see through Ungoliant's unlight, which he can see moving northward with great haste, and he knows that Melkor has been and gone. 
The pursuit begins, and the earth shook beneath the horses of the host of Orome, and the fire that was stricken from the hooves of Nahar was the first light that returned to Valinor. But as soon as any rider approaches Ungoliant's cloud of darkness, they become blinded and scattered and confused, and their horns falter and fail. Even Tolkas the Strong becomes bound up by the blackness, and when the darkness has passed, it is too late. Melkor has gone, and his vengeance is achieved. That's going to be it for this episode of Speak, Friend, and Enter Deep Lore. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Those reviews really help people find the show. If you have a question or a topic you'd like us to discuss on the show, please email us at speakfriendpod at gmail.com. You can check out the show's Twitter at speakfriendpod for official pod stuff and visual aids, and my personal Twitter is at askistwen, that's I-S-T-W-E-N. We'll have a regular episode up in two weeks, and next month we'll have another Deep Lore episode about the huge shakeup in the next chapter of the Silmarillion of the Flight of the Noldor, and we'll discuss how deeply the Silmarils are bound to Feanor's heart and the tragedy of the first time an elf does violence against another elf. Until next time, Muhu Torgizu Turgoskin.